back to the Seeking Proof Finding Grace podcast. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I want to encourage you with the single most important truth in the entire universe. God loves you. Now, this week we're going to cover a topic that really more applies to a debate within Christianity and a debate as it relates to this whole argument of were we created or are we simply the product of luck, matter, and time. And time is going to be the big issue that we look at this week. The question on the table is, how old is the earth and the universe around us? And there are two schools of thought out there. The first being that the universe is somewhere around 14 billion years old, give or take a couple of years, and that the earth is 4 billion years old, give or take a couple of years. The reason that this will be critically important to the argument is that Darwin's theory of evolution requires enormous amounts of time. Remember, it's a slow, unguided process. Well, a slow, unguided process, in addition to needing enormous amounts of luck, is also going to need enormous amounts of time for trial and error to do its, do its thing. So when I say the, the combination of time, matter, and luck, time is critically important because the component of time in all of this is how much time do you have to give for all of these things to accidentally just happen. And the importance of this can't be understated. You know, the clock is ticking on this question. Sooner or later, the sun that we all need to survive on, and it's been springtime around here lately, we haven't seen much of it, but sooner or later, the sun is going to eventually grow cold and die. And if it takes too long, you're never going to reach life. And so this question of time is critically important. I think there's a school of thought out there believes that this is the silver bullet. And in some ways, it could be the silver bullet. If you could conclusively prove that God created the earth in six days and that the earth is only, a, you know, roughly 6,000 years old, you pretty much put, put the nail in the coffin of Darwin's theory. And I think most naturalists would admit that. If the earth could conclusively be proven to only be 6,000 years old, Darwin's theory doesn't have a chance. Now, I'm going to back off of that just a tiny bit because I still think even if we could prove that the Earth was only 6,000 years old, you're going to have a pretty hardcore group of natural, naturalists out there who are going to say, well, that might prove that it's difficult, but we still don't know that God did it, and we still don't know that who did it. Maybe somebody else did it, but it doesn't mean it was God. So again, I don't know that there's any silver bullet in this argument, but you're going to find that coming up as an issue of importance, because I think there is an idea out there that if we can prove the, that we have a young Earth, that this immediately does away with the argument. The temptation in all of this is there, and I understand why, for two reasons. Number one, there are some intriguing anomalies out there that point to maybe the Earth is younger than we think it is. You know, one of the big ones that I love to see debated, and I think it's terribly interesting, when the astronauts landed on the moon, they weren't buried in miles and miles of dust. You know, as the dust falls and accumulates, it settles on things. And one of the concerns was, as the astronauts landed on the moon, well, if the Earth really is billions of years old, then how much dust has accumulated up there as it slowly falls? And of course, what the astronauts stepped in was just a tiny amount of dust. They left footprints up there that we could find today. But they didn't step in hundreds of feet or more of dust, and they weren't suddenly buried in a giant cloud of dust as they landed. That does tend to point to the possibility that the Earth is younger than we think it is. And there are other things out there as well, and I don't want to spend a lot of time debating them on this week's episode. 
The other reason that this is important, and this is going to be kind of a you know an in-house issue for Christians, is there are some people who say that if you don't get this part right, if you don't believe that the earth is a young earth, then your theology is incorrect. And that's the part I really want to address today as we look at this and as we go forward. But stick with us. For those of you who are skeptics and others, I think you'll find this interesting as we go forward. And I think certainly this is something that we look at down the road as well when we answer the question, well, if we were created, then who is that creator? One of the issues on the table that I think a lot of people have with Christianity is you're going to find a lot of different people who say that the Bible says a lot of different things. And that is a huge mistake, in my opinion. The Bible says what it means, and it means what it says. And I am an absolute believer in the literal interpretation of Scripture. That is going to be critically important in a lot of areas. And I warned everybody, I think if you go back to the episode where we talked about starting a relationship with God. Once you've begun a relationship with God, one of the most important things that you need to do is to find a good church. And one of the only definitions I think I gave you at that time of a good church was find a church that actually preaches that what the Bible says is true. Because anytime you find somebody who says, well, the Bible says that, but the Bible really doesn't mean that, you have to start wondering, well, what do you actually believe about what the Bible says? Because if you take the book and you thumb through it and you say, well, I believe this page is correct, but that page isn't, then you end up with someone's own theology and their own philosophy, and that's a really dangerous place. So if you're looking for a good church, one of the main definitions of a good church is a church that teaches the Bible, a church that teaches that the Bible is true. One of the big things we're going to get into as we look at supposed contradictions in the Bible and things like that is just reading what the Bible says and taking it in context. You remember, we tried for the first 13 episodes of this podcast to put some context around this journey. So when I say I believe in the literal interpretation of Scripture, there's obviously a small caveat to that. There are times when Scripture is not actually being spoken literally. There are times where Scripture speaks figuratively. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. John chapter 10, verse 9. This is Jesus talking. It's in red in my Bible. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Do we literally believe that Jesus is a door? No, clearly Jesus is talking figuratively here, okay? So do I believe that scripture should be taken literally? No, that it's not meant to be taken literally, and clearly I think everyone could understand that. Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. And his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child, child with a capital C, that's Jesus, as, as soon as it was born. And she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Okay, this is Revelation. This is the height of the tribulation. There's an enormous amount to that scripture. Is that scripture actually talking literally that there was a great fiery dragon and that there was one single woman and one child? No, that, that's not, and it even says that, another sign appeared in heaven. This is symbolic, and what this is describing as, this is Satan, the woman is Israel, the child is Jesus, and they stand, these are obviously, this is speaking figuratively. So clearly there are times 
that when the Bible says something, it means it figuratively. And it's very easy to determine when those times are. So we need to be a little bit careful when we're reading any book that the author is speaking, whether or not the author is speaking literally or figuratively. And the vast majority of the time, the Bible is speaking quite literally. Most of Revelation, literal. Most of Revelation is not to be interpreted figuratively or spiritually or, you know, anytime somebody starts moving things off, going, well, that's much more of a grand theory. No, no. The Bible means what it says, and it says what it means. And when you look at passages like this, it's quite clear. Yeah, that's that's speaking figuratively. But most of the time, the Bible is speaking quite literally. But when, while that's the case, I think it's important to understand that we shouldn't read too much into the Bible. We shouldn't make the Bible say things that it doesn't say. Now, before we go any further, the reason that it is important that we understand that God created everything around us is this foundational understanding of your relationship with your creator. I I absolutely believe 100% that one of the reasons why we've seen Christianity in decline for the last, I don't know, 160 years is that Christianity has tried to embrace this squishy middle ground in between, well, we think evolution did a lot of things, but God might have gotten things started, and, and there's no real diff, you know, there's no real difficulty of, of believing in evolution and God all at the same time. I will firmly tell you that I believe in the fact that species do change over time, and we'll talk about evolution on a, a little scale and evolution on a big scale down the road as we do this. Can you breed different types of dogs or different types of horses? And this is where, again, Darwin painted such a good picture. Yeah, you can absolutely see selective breeding at work where someone can take a breed of sheep or a breed of dogs or a breed of horses and they can refine them and they can get different types of things out of them. I don't think there's any normal dogs left anymore. Everything is a doodle. Everything has been bred with some sort of a poodle to come up with these exotic dog breeds of all these different kinds. You can see that, and that's where Darwin made such an enormous point with his theory. What Darwin wasn't ever able to do was to connect the dots between a sheep, a dog, a whale, some moss, a tree, and the rock that's laying out in my yard. Darwin can't make that connection between all of them, and that's where we get into real difficulties with his theory. That having been said, I won't go any further down that rabbit hole. It's important that you understand that your creator was the God of the Bible. In my opinion, again, we're going to talk about who that creator God is down the road. I'm jumping too far ahead when I make that statement. But understanding that God created us is foundational to your relationship with God. And as you start to weaken that by allowing all of these other theories in and going, well, maybe God didn't do as much as I think he did, that's the real danger in this. That's the real danger in not standing strong and saying, no, The Bible's quite clear that God created us, and the scientific evidence that we see around us supports that theory. That is critically important. But is it critically important to take a very dogmatic view that the book of Genesis in chapter 1 describes that the earth was created in exactly six 24-hour periods, and that there's nothing else there in this process, that the beginning of the universe, the universe began on day one, The universe finished up creation on day six with humankind, and then recorded history began going forward. Is it dogmatically important to believe that? And more importantly, does the Bible say that? And my contention is the Bible doesn't say that. 
And so, no, for that reason, because you cannot clearly read that into the Bible, we shouldn't attempt to force that into the Bible. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why. And again, this is probably going to be, you know, I've said before I'm making naturalists angry. This will be my opportunity to make some of my fellow Christians angry who believe in a young earth. Let me give you a couple of reasons why I think it's important that we don't try to read that into the Bible. Reason number one is the creation of the angelic order. At some point prior to us, the angelic order was created. Why this is important is one-third of the angels fell when Lucifer fell. You know, the first sin did not happen in the Garden of Eden. The first sin, if somebody ever asked you a Bible trivia question, what was the first sin? It was not eating of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. The first sin was pride. And pride consumed Lucifer, and he fell and took one-third of the angelic order with him. Lucifer was in charge of worship in heaven. I've always warned my daughters to stay away from musicians. Just kidding. But when you look at that, that is a huge turning point in the universe. Well, the question is, when did that occur? We know that it occurred sometime prior to the creation of earth. And we know that because of a verse from the book of Job, Job 38, verses 6 through 7. To what were its foundations fastened? This is talking about the earth. Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Okay, so clearly the angelic order was there when God created earth. When did that happen? The reason that this is going to be important is if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, in the beginning, that happened. Where was the angelic order created? Because there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening there. There, You can't assume the, the angelic order was created, and then they immediately fell. That fall was instantaneous, and then these things occurred. That way we can keep it squeezed into six very neat 24-hour periods. And that doesn't work, and that's a huge problem as we look at this. Issue number two. We really don't fully understand exactly what Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 mean. Are they part of day one, or are they separate from day one? Let me read these verses for you, and you'll understand what I mean. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. That's a key verse, and we'll talk about that. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then... Okay, we've just entered verse 3, and the first word is then. Then means after. After that happened, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and morning were the first day. Somewhere in there, all of these things occurred. And there's no question, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there's a description in there about the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. But then there's a gap in there. And this is part of a theory called the gap theory. Is there a gap between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3? And I believe the answer to that is yes. And again, part of it goes back to this question of the angelic order. And this is going to lead us into the third point. Point number three. What exactly does Genesis verse 1, chapter 2 actually mean? And I want to go back to that. It says, The earth was without form and void, 
and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, the translation that we have there is an accurate translation. Remember, this was originally written in Hebrew. But there's a couple of different possibilities for what that actually means. It says the earth was without form and void. It could actually be translated that it became without form and void, that it became that. That's going to be the question. Is what the Bible's describing there, what happened as the angelic order fell? And I think in a lot of ways that makes good sense. The reason I say that is this. God doesn't do anything halfway. God doesn't do anything imperfect. And so what we see happening during the creation story is as God is putting together everything that we see around us. But then there's this idea. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so God created the heavens and the earth. But why did he create them without form and void? And darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Was What was going on there? If it's all happening during a 24-hour period, then why is it that you have that? What does it mean when it says the earth was without form and void? Is it more of a description of what happened to the earth as the angelic order fell? And I, like I said, I think that makes better sense as we look at this question and as we move forward. The last point in all of this, point number four, is the, the Hebrew word yom. Yom is the question here for day. And yom doesn't exclusively mean 24-hour periods. It can mean that. So when the Bible says that was the first day, it can mean a 24-hour period. That is true. But it doesn't necessarily have to mean that. It can mean a period of time. The sun and the moon are not created until day four. So this idea of 24-hour long days, we get our idea of 24-hour days based on our planet's rotation from one point all the way around until we reach the same point facing the sun again. Well, if we're not facing the sun, why is it that the first three days have to be 24-hour periods? Why is it day four has to be a 24-hour period as God's creating all of that and putting it together? There is real question here whether or not the word yom actually means 24-hour periods or whether it means periods of time. And I don't know why we need to force the issue. There's, there's an effort on some people's part to try to link all of this together and say, well, you can clearly see the impact of sin. You can clearly see all of these things coming together. And you can see various things in the fossil record and other things. And there's an elaborate attempt to bring all of this together and make all of this look like it has to have happened within, 23, within six 24-hour periods or your theology is not right. And I think there's good reason to question whether or not the Bible absolutely says that. There are questions out there, and there's no question, again, in my mind, there are some interesting anomalies out there that we look at that could bring into question whether or not the Earth is actually 4 billion years old. But in the end, I think we have to ask the question of ourselves. As we have this internal debate as Christians, I think it's terribly interesting, and I think it's interesting science to look at. But when we look at this and we bring this forward and we absolutely say with certainty the earth is exactly 6,000 years old, give or take a couple of days, we don't really know that. And the Bible doesn't exactly say that. If the, again, I believe in the literal interpretation of Scripture. I absolutely do. And if the Bible clearly said the earth is 6,000 years old, period, done, end of story, because the earth was created specifically in six 24-hour periods, 
Okay, I'm on board. And I absolutely believe, could God have created the earth in six 24-hour periods? Yes, he could have. A timeless God, an eternal God, could also just as easily have created the earth in 4 billion years, in the universe in 14 billion years. I don't know what his recipe book looks like. I don't know how long God felt like he wanted to put things together exactly right to get us to this place. Can he hit the fast-forward button and just kind of zip through it? Sure, he could. I mean, as God's putting everything together, do I believe he could have done it in, in six days? Sure, no question. But he also could have absolutely done it in four billion years. He could have done it in 4,000 years. He could have done it in whatever time he wanted to. The critically important part, as, it, as you look at that foundation of your faith with God, in my opinion, is that you absolutely need to recognize that you were created by our Heavenly Father. That's what's important in all of this. That's what foundationally needs to be in there. So if one of the things that you're struggling with, well, I'm, I believe in that God created us, but I have a really hard time believing in this idea that the earth is only 6,000 years old. It's okay. I mean, I think there's good reason to question whether or not that's exactly right. When I look back at what the Bible says, I have questions about when did the angelic order fall? Because if the earth is only 6,000 years old and everything that we have in the Bible is exactly everything that was, and I think to a large degree, in many cases it is, there's nothing in my Bible that tells me when the angelic order fell. And yet that was, a, that was an absolute critical event that occurred. So how do we know? And when we look at that, I think there's good reason to raise that question. So again, we're not going to make the Bible say more than what it says. We're not going to read into it more than's there. But it's also critically important to understand what the Bible says is absolutely correct. Did God create you? He absolutely did. Did God create everything that we see around us? The universe, the earth, the moon, everything around us? Absolutely, he did. No question about it. But I think we need to stop there and stop short of reading into the Bible things that I don't know that it necessarily says. I want to thank you so much for joining us this week on Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. As always, you can find us on our website at prooftograce.com. You can reach out to us with questions at prooftograce at yahoo.com. You can also find our podcasts on Apple, iTunes, on Spotify, where we'd love it if you'd follow us. And of course, you can find our YouTube channel here, where we would love it if you would hit that like and subscribe button. I want to thank you for joining us this week, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.